Hi, friends, and welcome to Cubby Sports Bar and Grill. We are live for the John Stigelmeyer Radio Show. A happy Labor Day one and all, as we've got a lot to discuss here over the next 60 minutes. We'll be talking Jackrabbit football as we take the opportunity to recap the season-opening affair of which the Jacks were on the road against the Big Ten West Division champion of a year ago, the Iowa Hawkeyes, and a hard-fought 7-3 win for Iowa over South Dakota State. In addition to that, we will preview the upcoming home opener Saturday night at 6 o'clock as SDSU will take on UC Davis in a rematch of the opening round of the FCS playoffs from last November in the Dairy Drive. It's great to have you alongside. I'm Tyler Merriam, joined by head coach John Stigelmeyer, and we talked going into last week, uh, going into Saturday's matchup, about how good Iowa was defensively. Uh, we certainly talked about your offense. We also talked about how well your defense had held up against your offense going into the year. It truly was a defensive struggle. Both uh, punters were certainly on display, and a couple of safeties end up being the deciding factor as uh, Iowa wins 7-3. to three. A very unique football game, was it not? It was unique in uh, many, many ways. Uh, we just talked to the team today, uh, the number of plays we had inside, I think it was the 15-yard the line, is the, the total we had last season. We had all those in the Iowa game. So it was, a, it was and then against the tough defense, it's just really a tough deal. But the positive, the, the huge positive was the way our, our defense rose up and played all game long. Hunter Dustman punted 34 times all of last year. He had 11 in this game against Iowa. And his first one was not the prettiest, but I tell you what, he settled in after that, ends up with a 41-and-a-half-yard average, makes the field goal, his second career field goal trying his first under any real pressure because he made one at Southern Illinois in a route in the second half. For him to step in and perform as well as he did, not that you didn't know he was capable of that, but what a, a big moment that was for him on a big stage. Yeah, the field goal was huge uh, at that point in the game. The the first punt was, I think he just looked up, he thought the the – the, the rush was coming, and, and uh, he can't do anything about the rush other than get the ball off in, in the right amount of time. And after that, you're right, a great job of clearing that, playing in the present, being able to perform his duties. I want to bring up a, a couple of just interesting notes about this, and I do this uh, not to make light of anything that happened on Saturday, but to put in perspective just how good of a football team you've been as of late and how rare something like uh, Saturday is. The last time that uh, you only scored field goals in a game and didn't score a touchdown, you have to go back to 2018 at Northern Iowa. So it's been almost four full seasons. The last time you only had a single score was out at Youngstown State back in 2017, and you haven't been shut out in over a decade, so it's the fewest points since then. But it's just it, it says something about how good of a program you've had that uh, there are teams that struggle to score on a lot of days. This is pretty rare for a Jackrabbit football team to have some of the issues you had offensively, again, against an incredibly talented defense in Iowa. Yeah, and there's there's other things, you know, we're going to allude to or talk about. We had some uh, disappointing injuries of yeah. some key individuals on our offense and our defense. Uh, the field position thing, uh, you know, we didn't uh, give credit to their punter, but then uh, take some responsibility as a return unit and catch some of those balls and, and it doesn't get to where, where it was on the field. And so uh, when the ball's kicked, there's 22 guys out there or when it's thrown or when it's run, and everybody's got to do their job. The other interesting note, uh, we talk about the two safeties. You have to go back to the year 1987 to find the last time that 
the Jackrabbits gave up two safeties in a year, and it's never happened in a game dating back to the 1950s, so it really was a unique scenario at Iowa. But again, your defense from the very beginning got put into some tough spots. You talked about the field position. Torrey Taylor did an unbelievable job for Iowa, but your defense continued to rise to the occasion and really only gives up one field goal. I mean, you can't fault the defense for four of those seven points. Right, right. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the field goal, uh, you know, that was not a long field again. Yeah. And so they, 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 there was not a series where they got three consecutive first downs. I think there were seven three, three and outs. Again, this is against the Big Ten team. I don't care who they have at quarterback. This is against the Big Ten team. Uh, that's a that's a heck of a performance. Yeah, the, by far the best Iowa drive. The only drive that had more than 30 yards was the 57-yard drive in the third quarter, and that's the drive Adam Bach makes the big play when they get inside the 10 and turns it back. So the only drive they had of any uh, actual significance in yardage, they don't score because you turn them over. Well, the way our offense was playing, I wish Adam would have stayed on his feet and ran for a few <laughs> yards to get us out of there, but it was a big, it was a huge play in the football game. Well, as you pointed out, one of the big stories from that game was the physical nature of it, and it seems like in a lot of games we talked, man, that game was physical, but your team really took the brunt of the blow and had a number of guys that had to leave the game. You're playing a lot of that second half without Jackson, Yankee, or Tucker Craft on the field on offense. You already down a safety going into the game, had a couple other starters get hurt, and then you lose one because of targeting in the middle of it as well. So there were times you were down four or five starters on defense in the second half. So I guess health-wise, what do you know at this point? What can you tell us about uh, uh, the medical report of the Jackrabbits? Uh, we're, we're beat up. Uh, you know, that's a duh statement. Um, there, nobody's open today, so no, no MRIs, no X-rays, and so we're waiting for those for tomorrow and Wednesday to really get a feel for where we're at as a football team. I mean, our guys, after the first game, they never feel fresh. I mean, they're always somewhat beat up. We just want to be able to get them ready and get them on the field. So I really don't have a lot of information about that. All right. Uh, one other note about this Iowa game. We'll talk more about it as we go. I brought it up afterwards, but one of the neatest things for me to experience, and I know others that were there shared in that, the tradition at the end of the first quarter when everybody turns and waves to the Children's Hospital just beyond the uh, the east side of the stadium, and in unison, 70,000 people, including all the Jackrabbits, standing up and waving at those young men and, and, and women uh, in the hospital. What a cool moment that was. We talk about some of these neat things that we're a part of here at South Dakota State. That was a very unique and special one on Saturday. Very special, and you know, as a football player or coach, you do that and then you lock back in, And but I, I hope we all reflect on that, what we were part of and who we're waving to and why, uh, you know, we should feel really good about our existence and our, our role and, and, and maybe say a prayer for that, uh, that facility and those individuals. We've got a couple of guests lined up here who will be joining us later this evening. Uh, Caleb Sanders, who's the defense player of the week, and then his coach, Christian Smith. All right, we'll talk to Caleb when the John Stigelmeyer Radio Show continues. We're live from <laughs> Cubby Sports Bar and Grill. Stay with us on this Monday night. You're listening to the Jackrabbit Sports Network from Learfield. Welcome back to Cubby Sports Bar and Grill and the John Stigelmeyer Radio Show. Happy Labor Day one and all. And today's broadcast brought to you by First Bank and Trust. Let's be real. You earn, you save, you plan, and you protect. First Bank and Trust offers smart and savvy financial solutions for where you are now and where you want to go. First Bank and Trust. Real banking, real easy. 
a member FDIC. Well, we know we can bank on one young man on the defensive line of the Jackrabbits who rose to the occasion time and again on Saturday afternoon as the Jackrabbits fought so hard against Iowa. Young man from Glenwood, Iowa, back in his home state. One of the team captains of the SDSU football team wears number 99. Let's hear it for Sanders, everybody. Smile comes across Caleb's face for that ovation. How are you, my man? Good, how are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, when did football come to the picture for Caleb Sanders? Um, so originally, uh, I watched my older brother play football. Um, he's six years older than me, but I didn't start playing until fifth grade. So um, I guess I played uh, flag football in third grade, but took fourth grade off and started playing tackle football in fifth grade. All right. Uh, Glenwood, Iowa. About how far from Omaha are we talking here? Uh, like 30 minutes. So. Okay, that's the closest city most people would know, right? Glenwood, yeah. 5,000 people about, is that right? Yeah, something like that. All right, so Glenwood, Iowa to South Dakota State. Tell me about the path that led you to Brookings. Um, you know, uh, I didn't have a lot of offers out of high school. Uh, I just had like here, USD, um, and UNI. So Brookings was the, or SDSU was the first one to uh, offer me. So um, I just kind of felt like I was at home here. So with all the coaching staff coach smith is always good coach to me so i just felt like i was at home you brought up watching your brother play football and that was a big factor but you were a heck of a wrestler in high school too what three top four finishes including a state title did you ever think about wrestling at the next level um no not really okay. uh <laughs> i knew it was an option but i just had more of a passion for football all right, and you arrived on campus in 2018, and you got thrown right into the mix right away. I mean, you're these, you're supposed to get on campus in red shirt and kind of slowly go into things, but uh, you jumped into the fray immediately. Yeah, um, I guess uh, we had a lot of young guys that year, so I was able to get some playing time. And not only did you have a bunch of young guys, but that group, and you were a part of it, and some of them were just a year older than you, as colorful of a position group as you could possibly have, with the Thomas Stackers and with the Crockett Curlikowskis and the Xavier Wards and describe a meeting, describe spending time with some of these young men who were all here a year ago and entertained the masses for us. Yeah, uh, it was definitely a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, meeting rooms, it seems like every moment it was a laugh and uh, they were actually uh, him or Stacker or Crockett and Xavier are all our neighbors. so. We spent a lot of time with them, uh, just going over to their house, them coming over to our house. Just, uh, a lot of time, we built a really good bond, uh, which I thought really helped our meeting room come together. And knowing how astute you are, you took notes of what not to do based upon what Crockett and those guys were doing. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of gray area. There, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Glenwood, Iowa, home state of Iowa. You go back and you play at Iowa on Saturday in front of nearly 70,000 people. What was that experience like? Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, playing Iowa, you know, it's just playing another team. We prepare the same way, so. Um, but playing in front of all those fans is definitely a lot of fun. All right, I know you have aspirations to continue your football career, but outside of football, what's the plan? What are we majoring in? Um, majoring in early childhood education, so I'm going to be a teacher one day, maybe coach too. I was just going to say, and rightfully so on the applause, do you want to coach as well? And if so, what sport or sports? Yeah, I'd say uh, football and wrestling. Okay, the two that you're most experienced with. Yep. All right. What has been the best part of Brookings and this experience for you as a student athlete? Um, obviously the football team. Football is a lot of fun, but just all the connections I've made while I've been here, whether it's other football players or 
guys I've met in the dorms or just through uh, other events. Uh, it's definitely been a lot of fun just getting to know a lot of people. You come in your freshman year, you don't know a lot of people, but yeah. by the time you leave, it seems like there's a whole collection of people that you know. Because of COVID, your fifth year this year, your time as a Jackrabbit will be up in the next few months, but you get to play a few more games at Dana J. Dykow Stadium starting on Saturday with the home opener. How excited are you to be back in that facility? I'm pretty excited. Uh, I get to sleep in my own bed on Friday night, so that's always fun. I uh, love playing at Dana J, so I'm excited for it. What do you have to say to the fan base here and these uh, wonderful folks that are watching and listening tonight? Um, I just say is tune into the game. Uh, oh, go Jacks. <laughs> Caleb, thank you. Caleb Sanders with us, the exceptional defensive tackle from Glenwood, Iowa. Defensive line coach Christian Smith will join us live from Cubby Sports Bar and Grill. When the John Stinglemeyer radio show continues, stay tuned. We are live on the Jackrabbit Sports Network from Learfield. The John Stigelmeyer Radio Show rolls along on this Monday night from Cubby Sports Bar and Grill. The Jackrabbit football team ranked number two in the FCS. Coming off the hard-fought 7-3 defeat in the season opener at Iowa, Jacks are home back-to-back -back weeks, and it'll start this Saturday, the season opener at home at least. It's the Dairy Drive, SDSU and UC Davis. Six o'clock is the kick. Uh, if you're along with us on the Jackrabbit Sports Network, our radio coverage starting two hours before each and every kickoff at 4 p.m. Uh, tickets are still available, a limited number at jackrabbittickets.com. Expecting a nice turnout on Saturday. There are some new wrinkles as well with uh, some new policies at the stadium. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But first up, you heard from Caleb Sanders, one of the excellent defensive linemen on this Jackrabbit team. Now the man who is at least partially responsible for his and the success of his teammates. Defensive line coach here at SDSU. Let's hear it for Christian Smith, everybody. Christian, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. And this is a defensive line that last year you had so many seniors with COVID and everything else. It was a, a great group that played in both the spring and the fall. And you have some good guys back, but there also were some holes to fill as well. Walk me through what competition's been like for this defensive line here leading into last week's opener. Um, you know, it was some tough conversations. I, obviously, uh, a lot of guys want to start and play. Um, but for us, uh, when I have to have, have to make tough decisions, that's a good thing for me okay. um, and our football team. Um, and there's a couple guys at defensive tackle. Um, you know, Brian Williams was really close as well. Um, so we'll be monitoring that as the season goes, and uh, the best guys will play. But, you know, if anybody – I want those guys to be mad at me, <laughs> not their teammates. And I think we've got a good chemistry in the position group. Um, that, you know, when somebody else makes a play, um, it's going to motivate them. They're going to celebrate with them and then feel like they need to make a play to help the team and uh, help the defense get off the field. I know it's not something of a bragging rights among the position coaches, but it's a neat honor when you have seven captains and two of them are defensive linemen in the form of Caleb Sanders and Reese Winkleman. Speaks a lot to the leadership of those two individuals. Yeah, we always talk about it starts up front. So even on the offensive side of the ball, we got uh, Mason and Garrett as well. Um, so when you have O-linemen and D-linemen um, being leaders on your team, um, if they have something to say, I'm pretty sure the corners and receivers aren't um, going to give them a lot of static. Uh, so, uh, but those are all, the, all four of those guys are great kids and um, have done things right um, and made themselves into pretty good players. So uh, when you're not just a captain because you make a lot of plays on Saturday, um, I think you have even more respect from, from, from your peers. 
I want to get your thoughts on Caleb Sanders in particular. We talked to him a little bit ago, obviously. Very intelligent young man, early childhood education major out of Glenwood, Iowa. And one of the strongest kids on this team, uh, even afterwards, Kirk Ferentz, the Iowa head coach, said it seemed like 99 was in our offensive huddle. He was in the backfield half the game. Uh, this is a young man who is an All-American. He's a team captain, first-team All-Valley pick. He's worked so hard, and he's reaping the benefits of all that effort. Yes. Um, you know, I can't say enough good things about Caleb uh, coming in, playing as a true freshman until uh, now. Um, you know, he studies film, and um, he practices hard. He does everything full speed, and he has that wrestling background that helps him out with his balance, and he's pretty tough. I, I'm pretty sure he hasn't missed any games um only one game knock on wood but um you know whether he's hurt or injured he's gonna go in there and give it everything he has and i honestly think he's the best defensive tackle in the country um at our level and you know uh, hopefully if he was if he was two inches taller he'd probably be playing in the sec so um he's a special talent and i make fun of him all the time and he calls me bald so it's all fair in game well, I couldn't help but laugh. Those of you listening didn't understand this, but as Christian mentioned that if he was a couple inches taller, that was trying to find him and couldn't see him <laughs> over the crowd, so it was rather humorous. How about Reese Winkleman, a sixth-year senior out of Marshall, Minnesota, who uh, has 32 career tackles for loss, 16 uh, career sacks. He's now 10th in school history in career sacks, 39 consecutive starts. And here's a young man who, again, just like Caleb, you see him off the field, you'd have no idea how much of a menace he is to opposing teams between the lines. Yeah, he's um, he's one of the savviest players that I've ever coached and probably um, on our football team. He just needs one rep at something, and he's going to do it right. Um, he's extremely smart, and, um, you know, he's been a blessing to coach as well. Uh, both those guys are going to go down as two of the greatest to ever play defensive line here, and, you know, it's just been an honor to be around those guys and coach them. And, um, hopefully they listen to half the stuff I say. and um, But they, they, they're awesome kids, and, you know, it's a blessing to coach those guys. I won't ask you which half you hope they listen to. <laughs> Winkleman and Sanders start, but you have Van Marl and Tervere starting out uh, alongside them. And then we go down the list, the Hickses. You mentioned Brian Williams, uh, what came on you can bring to the table. Max Balloon had a big play uh, in the football game on Saturday. Caden Johnson, uh, DePriest, Brenner on down the line. You want to go deep at that position for a variety of reasons, and part of it is you feel like you have enough talent that you can do it. Yes, for sure. Um, if we didn't have the talent, we would be stuck playing with two or three guys. Okay. Um, you're not going to get the product um, in January um, in the fourth quarter that you did in the first quarter um, of the first game. So uh, when we can continue to recruit, and those guys, they, they, they've been waiting for an opportunity. Um, just COVID kind of set those guys back a little bit. So um, hopefully this year those guys start to flourish a little bit. Um, spring was huge for them. Um, and I can't say enough about, you know, that group. If somebody goes down, um, I'm not going to flinch and, you know, this next guy up. Uh, so we try to rotate them early. And um, some guys are going to have opportunities throughout the course of the year that, you know, didn't even get in the game on Saturday. A ton. Zach Wilson has come a long way. Randy didn't get to play uh, last game. And, um, you know, it's – a lot of guys that are itching and um, to get on the field. So um, you got to be on your P's and Q's every day if you're messing up at practice. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll tell them we got to find another guy to go in on third down if you can't get the third down pressure right. Great motivation, yeah. right, internally. Tell me about the coaching staff because uh, there's been a lot of changeover on the defensive side of things uh, with Jimmy Rogers, of course, now the, the sole defensive coordinator. But you're one of the vets now on this defensive staff. Yeah. Um, oh, 
Coach Rogers is the only one that's been here uh, longer than myself, and mm -hmm. Coach Bobbitt is in the second stand is from being a player in the GA um, here. But, you know, we have a lot of fun. Uh, we put a lot of hours in. So it's a pleasure to be around those guys, extremely smart. Um, I mean, Coach Rogers is, is incredible. Um, just working with him and watching him and learning a lot from him, honestly. I learned a lot from Brian Burstrom last yeah. year, uh, over the years as well. But uh, Jimmy's been a part of putting together our defense ever since I've been here. So um, all the questions that people have about how will the defense be this year, um, no doubt in my mind that, you know, he's going to lead us in the right direction. And, um, you know, he, nobody works harder than he does um, and stand up to 3 in the morning. So if you see the Dyke House lights <laughs> on um, at 3 in the morning, it's probably Coach Rogers um, there. So it just means more to him and, you know, kind of motivates, uh, I feel like, the entire team. The amount of people that talked about Coach Rogers in their senior speeches, every single kid, offensive players talked about him. So incredible leader for us on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, he's open to new ideas and uh, hearing from, you know, whether it's Coach Kubaki who just got here, this assistant with the defensive line, he, he's bringing a lot of different things to the table. And Coach Erickson has, you know, done a good job with the corners and um, the special teams as well. So uh, we got a, a good defensive group uh, right now. And, you know, but it all starts with the kids. Without those guys, we, we don't have a job. So um, I think they all care about their players. Um, just as much, if not more, than I do. But I, I would argue that nobody cares about their guys more than I do. So, <laughs> And I'm not going to argue with you, okay? I'm not going to do that. But uh, we're excited to see Caleb and the rest of the Jackrabbits uh, in person at home on Saturday, 6 o'clock, the kickoff as SDSU hosts UC Davis in the Dairy Drive. Christian, great effort from you and the crew on Saturday. Looking forward to the rest of the year. All right, thanks. Christian Smith, defensive line coach at South Dakota State with us. When the John Stigelmeyer radio show continues, the head coach will rejoin us as we'll recap Iowa one last time and preview Saturday's home opener. It's all coming up in just a moment on the Jackrabbit Sports Network from Learfield. The John Stigelmeyer Radio Show continues. We're live from Cubby Sports Bar and Grill. Thanks for having us along on this Monday night as the number two ranked team in the FCS getting set to open up the home portion of the 2022 campaign as the Jackrabbits will welcome in the Aggies of UC Davis, whom they have seen on many an occasion over the years, including the first ever game as head coach for John Stigelmeyer back in 1997. We'll talk about a whole lot of things coming up in just a moment, but first things first, there are some new things for fans at Dana J. Dykow Stadium this year, and while some of it has been made public by everyone and their brother, not everything is as well known as the fact that alcohol will be sold on campus. People are very excited about that. But if you go to gojacks.com tailgating, there is all sorts of information beyond just tailgating for what's to come this year. Some of these things are new. For instance, the alcohol sales policy. Everybody that is of age is allowed two purchases per, uh, and uh, they can do it on their credit card. Even though the stadium will open 90 minutes before kick, alcohol sales will not start until 60 minutes before kickoff and will conclude at the end of the third quarter. Uh, in addition to that, all tickets this year are digital or you can print them at home. Uh, those of you who are season ticket holders probably already are aware of that. Uh, parking passes, you should have those. Those are physical. They've been sent in the mail. If you haven't, the Jackrabbit Club will be able to take care of you on that. Other interesting note is uh, post-game when you are leaving the stadium, the reserved lots will be funneled south, and you'll either uh, head west to Madari or east 
to 22nd. Now, all this information is available, again, on gojax.com slash tailgating, or there'll certainly be all sorts of people uh, to help you out as you leave the stadium on game days. The clear bag policy is the same as last year. Premium gates will open two hours before kickoff. The uh, other gates open 90 minutes before kick. And then one other note, um, we did this a couple of times late last year, and it's fully operational now. Those of you that will be at the stadium can listen to the broadcast non-delayed on 98.1 FM. We'll broadcast that in the stadium as well, but 98.1 FM. You can hear our radio broadcast non-delayed in the stadium starting uh, on Saturday for all the home football games. All right, did you get all those notes down, Stick? Yeah, I'm glad I'm a coach and not a... <laughs> and with, with that, Jordan Bow and the Jackrabbit Athletic ticket staff, uh, Slade Larshai, Deputy Athletic Director, who oversees all that, Megan Froseth, who handles so many things with the fan experience from a marketing perspective, the work that all those people and all the Jackrabbit Club folks led by Nathan Christensen and his staff and our Jackrabbit Sports Properties crew, the number of people that put all this together and coordinated with folks on campus and the Board of Regents and whatever so I could then read a few things is phenomenal. So I have by far the easiest job in all of this. Well, there's no doubt uh, to put on a football game, it takes a lot of people yeah. and a lot of planning. And uh, I, I texted our son as we were getting on the bus. We had a police escort, and I said something to him about uh, he was taken off for Colorado, and he said, if I ever get out of Iowa City, we'll go. <laughs> so uh, the traffic is kind of tough down there, too. It certainly is. And, of course, when you have 70,000 people, you can understand that to some extent, too. But uh, but nevertheless, let's hit a couple more things on the contest at Iowa. And uh, one of the things that uh, that jumped out to me defensively in particular was what you accomplished on third downs. And Spencer Petrus, the Iowa quarterback, who's won some big games for them, did not complete a pass on third down. He was 0 for 8. He was sacked once through an interception. That was something that uh, Brad Peterson, who does stats for us up in the booth, followed from the very beginning and was a huge part of the game. When you forced them into third and long and made Petrus throw the football, they did not have success. And a lot of that was because without having to blitz six or seven guys, you were able to win your one-on-one -on -one battles and get home and force Petrus to throw the ball early and off balance. Yeah, again, uh, everybody says that it starts with the big guys up front, and, mm -hmm. and pass coverage is a lot easier when somebody's chasing or hitting the quarterback, and we hit him a lot. We sacked him a couple times. Uh, you know, I've been following social media, the uh, the abuse and, and critique that he's taken at, in, in that type of program. That's that's pretty tough on a young man. So I hope uh, I hope he has some good games ahead of him. And, uh, and we just played really good defense and I'm proud of our guys. Yeah, it was remarkable how many times the Hawkeye offense was booed and whether that was directed at Petrus, whether it was directed at the coaching staff, I don't know, but uh, uh, it, it was remarkable. We talked well, I, to, I, think, I think part of the deal there is I don't think they limit it to two beers down there. And so <laughs> I, I, I think, I, I think uh, that was part of that too. It was it just – the comments of head football coach John Stigelmeyer do not necessarily reflect those of the Jackrabbit Sports Network. Adam Bach, the Iowa native, uh, All-American, sensational player. Noah was excited to go back to Solon, uh, uh, right next door to, to Iowa City. He told me before the game he had about 100 friends and family in a section coming just for him on top of all the other season ticket holders that he knew. And then one of his teammates yelled, yeah, but how many of them were in black and how many were in blue, Adam? He said, I don't have the numbers. But Bach had 13 tackles in the game. 
and and I'll defer to you because you've seen a lot more football, but in all the years of covering Jackrabbit football, I don't know if I've seen as impressive of a single-handed defensive play as what Bach did on LaShawn Williams because there's a young man who it wasn't like he was holding the football like it was an egg. He had a pretty good grip on it, and Bach not only forces uh, the ball out of his hands as he's running by him but comes up with it, maintains it, ends up going down. Apparently, in your critique, he should have maintained his footing and run for a touchdown, but... Bach, an unbelievable individual effort to highlight what was a, a tremendous uh, overall effort. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, we, we, we take uh, Caleb and, and Ryan and Adam Bach and say they're playing in Iowa. Those young men play like that all the time. Yeah. They practice like that all the time. And, and because of that, they're able to shine on that stage, and uh, that's Jackrabbit football. Uh, speaking of guys that play like that all the time, doesn't matter what position Isaiah Stalbert is at, he gives you 110%. And, and while it wasn't out there publicly, you sort of knew Chase Norblade's been battling an injury. And so Stalbert, who had played safety and then had been playing linebacker, he's got some hybrid nature to him. But in theory, you want him to play a linebacker spot. He has to start at safety with the injury to Norblade and got hurt, came back into the game. But Stahlberg gave you a great effort, again, having to switch positions. That's not as easy as it seems. It, it isn't. Safety is a very complicated position. The, the beauty of it was he had been there. He had played the position. We moved him up, and so the transition back would have been, would, was a lot easier than when we moved him up to linebacker. And uh, Isaiah, I maintain, is one of our best athletes and, and one of our best defensive players. So he, he's an impact uh, type of player. Uh, Mark Gronowski certainly dealt with some issues, and I'll be honest, when he went back to pass on that one particular play and his leg gave out for a moment, it looked like uh, you know my heart sank because I thought maybe he'd had another significant injury. Doesn't sound like that's the case. I mean, he got through the rest of the game, did miss a series or so, but you could tell that was a, a physically exhausting game for Mark Gronowski, a quarterback, in his first game in the fall. I mean, you think about this, you know, with COVID and whatever, he hadn't played a game in the fall in three seasons since 2019. For him to go out there, uh, that was an impressive effort, even though it didn't turn out as he would have wanted. Yeah, he, he, he cramped up. He's, he's healthy. He's fine. Uh, we had a number of guys cramp up, and, and uh, they have a few more bells and whistles and toys to take care of their players. We expect our guys to to kind of get their own stuff and 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 uh, Pedialyte, uh, Powerade, Gatorade, that type of stuff. Uh, but uh, we need to be better in that situation. And and I I don't think Mark was rusty. That was a tough defense. Yeah. I mean, we can say whatever we want. People say things that, you know, it is a different level of football. Uh, I don't care about the scholarships. I'm just talking about the individual because football is a bunch of one-on-one -on -one battles, and 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 that's a good defense. And, and we'll leave it at that. I asked this of you in the post game on Saturday as well, but for Landon Wolf to transfer here, sit out in the spring because of transfer rules, and then get hurt in the first quarter at Colorado State last fall, sit out the entire rest of the season, stick around, be voted a team captain to get out there. He only made one catch, but it was a significant catch. Got you into Iowa territory in the first half. How neat was that to see Landon Wolf back out there? Uh, he's he's one of the uh, most He's one of the most special guys ever been around. I mean, the kid, he had he had other seniors in their senior speech say, I knew you were going to be a captain, Landon. He's only been here a year, you know, and just a phenomenal young man, never never volunteers for everything. He was on the National SAC Committee at, at Oklahoma State. He's run, just he's just an unbelievable young man, and, and he's when he leaves, he's going to impact the world, I, I guarantee you. Offensive coordinator Zach Lujan shared a story with our crew on Thursday that there's 
a handful of awards that you guys uh, come up with at the end of fall camp. And one of them really explains Landon Wolf. Yeah, Dana, uh, when we moved into the Dykow Center, Dana asked if we had any of the old blue benches. That was my first job as a student coach a long, long time ago. And we had one. And uh, there are this uh, two by 10 put together homemade deal painted blue. And the first time Dana came up, he talked about uh, the football family and SDSU and the friends you'll make and the, the, the who you'll call when you have your first baby and who you'll call when you lose somebody and so on. And he says, they're sitting in here. It's, it's an emotional talk. And, and he said, at the end of fall camp, vote for the guy that represents what it means to be a jackrabbit more than anybody. Len Wolf was voted that guy, again, after being here a year, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, just uh, uh, just a remarkable guy. And, and you will see that. He'll be standing room only when he comes down here because he is uh, he's just a, a really special young man. His mom was at the game. She was thanking me. <laughs> And I'm thanking her, <laughs> and uh, it was really cool. So well, again, to to talk to Zach Luhan and see the emotion in his face and hear it in his voice when he talks about Landon, and you are the same way. I've got goosebumps just sitting up here. We have not delved into the players of the week. We should denote Adam Bach was named co-defensive player of the week by the Missouri Valley Football Conference. But every week, you and the staff go through and pick out uh, not only the players of the game who performed in the contest, but scout teamers for their help getting ready for the game as well. Yeah, scout offense, Jeff Becker, quarterback, scout defense, Logan Green, defensive tackle, scout special teams, Bryce Johnson. This freshman group, those are were, those were three true freshmen. This freshman group is really, really special. We have some, some great leaders in that group. We have great athletes. Unbelievable attitude, and I can't wait to watch those guys mature in our program. Uh, offensively, the big guy was Gus Miller. The little guy was Landon Wolf. Defensively, Caleb Sanders, like we talked. Special teams was Dallas Beanham and uh, the effort guy, uh, which I think is the best award for the, the, the week. It was Caleb Francel. You mentioned Beanham. We haven't talked about him yet, but at one point during the game, Al Bahi, who was up in the booth with us, Al said, I think that Arlen Bruce, the Iowa punt returner, is sick of seeing Dallas Beanham because <laughs> Beanham was seemingly in his chest after every time he caught a punt. Well, no one else could get off a block. And <laughs> so it was, it was a one-man show down there. But, uh, yeah, Dallas, Dallas has a knack in that team, and he did a really good job. All right, uh, as we wrap up this segment, your new segment which debuted to tremendous don't, fanfare. Don't build last it week. up. I know they're already on the edge of their seats, so don't don't. Uh, you want to hear a postulate? Postulate time, indeed. Okay, so this one was birthed out of uh, COVID. It was um, birthed out of COVID. I think that's how you say that. Um, so we were sent home for for uh, three months. We couldn't be in the office. Most people were, and again, a postulate is something you can't argue. It's a given in our program. This is the nineteenth one we have in our program, and so when I was at home. Uh, I was on the main floor. My wife was upstairs. We stayed away from each other. We figured out that retirement is not in the cards right now. So anyway, I, I, at one point in the day, I would go down and I'd get on the elliptical. And in uh, my routine on the ellipticals, and, and this I know this is really interesting, but I go uh, like two and a half minutes at a pace, and then I increase the, 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 the tension or whatever, and I go as fast as I can, and I take my heartbeat, right? And it, 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 I figured out that I kind of knew what the elliptical was going to tell me. Because if I loafed on that last part, the elliptical was literally going to say your heartbeat is going to tell you you loafed. And so my point to the staff is you're on your own, right? Everybody's at home. You know when you've given, you've given everything you got for Jackrabbit football, and you know when you've loafed that day. You don't need an elliptical to do it. So let's all 
give everything we got because we are all on our own. And uh, and uh, they laugh at me when I tell these things, but I think there's some power there that we know when we've given it everything we've got. And the elliptical for me had to tell me uh, that's the way it was. So that was a good save after that start. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> the John Stiggle by a radio show rolls along. We'll answer your questions and preview UC Davis in just a moment. We're live from Cubby Sports Bar and Grill on the Jackrabbit Sports Network from Learfield. Welcome back to Cubby's Sports Bar and Grill and the John Stigelmeyer Radio Show. It's great to have you along with us as we talk UC Davis, the matchup coming up on Saturday night, a rematch of the opening round of the FCS playoffs from last November. I'm Tyler Merriam. He is John Stigelmeyer. A few questions in. We want to make sure we get these in before we talk uh, UC Davis. And it's amazing how many of these questions revolve around targeting and I'm sure head coaches have about as many questions for the officials as we do here um, in general uh, Kale Reeder gets called for targeting in the second half you told me afterwards it was a a tough call but you understand from talking to the officials uh, why they called it so I guess first off did you agree in general and then secondly with the new policy if it happens in the second half you can appeal it to see if it's upheld because technically you are to sit out that half that it's called in plus the next half if it happens in the first half there's no appeal process you're out for the rest of the game if it happens in the second half you can appeal it and potentially get it reversed and then have that young man eligible in the first half of the following week's game so did you agree and have you appealed it flip your mic down so we can hear you when you start talking yeah first of all that's why we only target in the second half so we have oh that's the reason to... okay yeah yeah we practice that and the it, thoughts of john stiglmeyer do not necessarily represent those of the jackrabbit sports network no comment on that. <laughs> no comment on that i find it hard to understand when they have all those camera angles and they they say it's targeting during the game that we have a prayer to appeal it that doesn't it, i mean why would it change because they've got all those angles now did we did we appeal it yes we sent it to the big 10 uh office and they're going to move it on to the because there's i guess one group that does this uh either by conference or by nation so i don't think very many of them will be uh canceled out but uh, i hope it is and and uh coaches are some of the most subjective individuals there are and so nothing's a penalty and nothing is you know and so i try to be as a head coach you get rid of a little bit of that because you don't have a position group and uh personally i don't think it was targeting but they they they, they deemed it targeting and then one other question the last offensive play you had when uh canyon bauer took a heck of a shot on your sidelines did you think there was anything with targeting on that play no i think that's what we teach our guys he hit him in the chest he didn't use his head and, uh, you know, he, he could have potentially – he hit him pretty hard. He could have potentially broke Canyon's ribs. But we play the game of football, and that, that was a legal hit. And I would expect our guys to do the same because that makes it a lot tougher to play wide receiver when you know guys are going to do that to you. All right, let me make sure I get this one read correctly. Does a football staff share in the number of critical errors, or is it that only a football player can make an error? And, uh, so we all watch the film, and uh, I watch all the film. Uh, offensive guy would watch his part and so on and then I sit down with the special teams coordinator the offensive staff and the defensive staff on on uh, Sunday afternoon and we go through the game we don't go play by play but I have questions in certain plays and then I say your thoughts and I expect them to be critical of themselves uh, Zach Lujan for as young as he is was was very critical objectively critical about our plan for the noise 
because we have a no, you know, uh, a, a clap, and, and it was so loud, and we've cranked it up in our deal. You can always hear it in our place. It was so loud you couldn't hear that. And How so, did it compare to the other places you've been, the Nebraska's or even some of the indoor stadiums you played at, uh, or Montana State, for instance? I mean, no, it's not that I was louder. The, the difference at North Dakota State is they yell all the time. All right, when you're in offense, they yell just about the whole the whole game. There, they yell at critical times. You know, the first series, yeah. and then the third down, and the fourth down when we were trying to go for it. Uh, but you know, they take a break, and I guess they run out and get a beer, you know, and come back. So, uh, anyway, uh, it, but it, what a special environment, and that's what we want, right? That's what we want our 19,000 fans to do is impact the game. And, and have Davis on their heels because they ha- they're not expecting it. Let's let's do it for them. But you're saying you and the whole coaching staff essentially you sort of grade each other, if you will, and you hold yourselves accountable in that room before you break out and talk to the team individually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, for instance, the the our process is uh, when we get to a certain place on the in, uh, on the field, I tell Zach, you got four downs to get a first down. All right. So he calls accordingly. So I don't wait till third down. And say go for it, Zach. That that would be that would be bad coaching. Well, when we when we had the fourth and four, I think in the first first quarter, and uh, and everybody paused. I hadn't said anything about going for the fourth. We were playing great defense, so I'm thinking send the punt team out. And I stand there and I stand there, and I go punt punt, and they send them out. And then we hadn't taught the priest to look at the cl- play clock, so he's out there doing his thing and making his calls. We get a delay. Uh, penalty. It really didn't hurt us in the game, but it was a teaching moment. It was a special situation that that guy is the quarterback of the of, yeah. of the the punt team, and he needs to look. So yeah, we do that. Uh, a good staff does that. Uh, a bad staff would blame blame uh, the other side of the ball or a coach or whatever, and that's that's not what our football staff's about. All right, we got a couple of minutes here. Let's touch briefly on UC Davis. Again, a team that a year ago started 8-1, and one, was top 10 in the nation, lost its last two at home, ended up coming here in the opening round, and you guys handled them uh, fairly easily as the game went along. They played at Cal, had a chance to go up 10 nothing early. They're very much in the game until the third quarter, throw a pick six, and then Cal kind of rolled from there. The final was 34-13. But, again, this is a playoff team of a year ago. Uh, uh, Hawkins, the head coach, has been at the FBS, so uh, they're certainly well-schooled. They're a really good football team, and, and, and I'm going to use tomorrow in my example our spring season where we went to SIU and we, we just beat them handily and everything we did worked. That's what happened in the playoffs. I mean, they couldn't tackle us, you know, and, and we just it was everything clicked. We had the perfect call against their defense. That's not this type of team. That's not the type of team they are right now. We've got to be ready to play because the second time we played SIU in the playoffs could have very easily lost. In, in, I think it was in the quarterfinals. So we got, we have to be ready to play. They're going to throw the ball around the, the field. They're going to play a lot of man defense. They got the, 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 the preseason offensive player, the – the, the, of the conferences, they're running back, so it's a really good football team. And by the way, that running back, Ulonzo Gilliam, ran 14 times for 115 yards and a score at Cal. He's the real deal. Yeah, yeah, eight yards a carry. That's uh, yeah. that's uh, against uh, when you're when you're throwing the ball that much too. That's pretty special. And they'll mix up three and four man fronts defensively. They can scheme you into some tough situations. You know, I, they're they're a little more uh, four man, less of that, uh, you know, jumping around and stuff. 
I pride myself in trying to figure out a defense, and they do some really unique things. I'm not saying unsound, but to, to say this is what they're playing, it's really hard to do. And, that, again, that's what you want to have as a defensive coordinator. All right, Stig, we've got to let you run, but good luck on Saturday, 6 p.m., the kick at UC Davis. So against UC Davis, we'll see you back here next week. Yep, sounds good. Thanks. All right, that's John Stiglmeyer. I'm Tyler Merriam. The Jacks and UC Davis in the Dairy Drive kickoff at 6. Our coverage starts at 4 on Saturday on the Jackrabbit Sports Network from Learfield. We'll see you next week.